things are settled in your mind and you've completely convinced your flesh and your heart and your, your thoughts and all those things, you help to push yourself aside that way that you can be complete in him. Because you realize on my own I'm nothing. Absolutely no thing but with him. Come on now. With him I can do all things. All things through Christ which strengthens me. And Paul said you are complete in him. You're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, this right here also ties in with John's revelation in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. He said, I saw a mighty angel come down, a mighty angel come down. He had a little book in his hand that was open. He put one foot upon the sea, one foot upon the shore. Most don't understand that, especially if you've been raised up in the message and you've heard this a lot. You don't understand the, the particularness, the, the beauty, or the description of this scene that John opens up in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. John has been able to come through Revelations 1 all the way up to Revelations 9. And in that, he has seen such a vast span of time. You count Revelation chapter 2 and Revelations 3, it covers all seven church ages. You hit Revelations 4, you're now ushered in the bride age you've been lifted up in the king's chamber and it keeps moving and moving you're seeing the seals come out each one coming forth each one coming forth and he's watched all those things he's been brought forward into our day he's watched all those things to be unveiled and to be unfolded before his very eyes and then he records chapter 10 verse 1 like this i saw another mighty angel he come down from heaven and again, raise the message. You've heard this a lot. One foot on the sea, one foot on the shore. And as a kid, you're thinking, yeah, yeah, no big deal, no big deal. I can stand on the beach. I can put one foot on the sand, one foot in the water. Look at me. That's not what that means. He's trying to, um, he's trying to give you details. He's trying to paint a picture for you of someone that is so magnificent, Someone that is so mighty, that is so powerful, that is so self-existent, that is so eternal, that is so great, that is so majestic, that he owns everything. Everything. Again, you've heard the phrase so much, footsteps denote possession or footsteps mean possession. You'll find that in the book of Joshua. Joshua was told everywhere the sole of your footsteps, it belongs to you. Now, as a young person being raised in the message, you're like, I walk everywhere. That belongs to me. That belongs to me. It belongs to him. And I've just read to you that you're complete in him. You are complete in him. Footsteps shows what he owns. He puts his foot on what he owns. He's showing he owns all of heaven and all of earth, all of the land, all the sea, all the power, all the principalities. He owns it all. He's God of it all. He's one that rules over it all. Which is the head of all principality and power. The head. The control tower. You like that part? Your brain is supposed to be you know, the, the, the synaptic function of your body as far as control tower for running, engaging, reactions, reflexes, uh, senses, uh, um, all those different things that helps function this body right here. You have a heart that supplies it with blood. You have a brain that is meant to go through and be able to check reactions, check this. It runs this body. Your brain says, pick left hand up. Your brain says, put left hand down. Your brain says, pick right hand up. Your brain says, put right hand down. It's the control tower. It's the control tower. But with us as a human, it is a control tower, but it's meant to be controlled by your heart. 
Now, the reason why that's such a wonderful thing is, is because your heart is what supplies blood to the brain. Thank you, Aaron. It's what supplies blood to your brain to keep your brain, your brain moving. So you now see how that you can't to put on the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ can only come into you through a blood atonement, or through a blood covering. And it comes from that heart. It saturates that mind. It's no longer your mind thinking. You put on the mind of Christ. He told the prophets, he said, that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. Now, the reason why that would, you, you, as a, again, a very smart person, as a very high intellect, as a very, someone who's got a great common sense, a good grip on this world, you would say, what does he mean by that? I know how the sunsets work. I know what time this happens. They can smell rain in the air. They can track it through radar. They can do all these things. They can measure seismic poles to tell when it's going to earthquake. You can see that a person's going to age and that if a certain disease hits in, the further effect of that disease upon it, we can track all of these things. How in the world would he be able to stand and say that his thoughts are not our thoughts his ways are not our ways how would we because we only live right here this is all we can see like for right now where i'm standing i can't describe to you that 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 power that flower pot right in front of me i can't see it where i'm at the pulpit the bible blocks my view of it i can't see it you can see it but i can't see it you've got a better view of it than i do So we're talking about a fourth dimension view. We live in the fourth dimension. But someone with a seventh dimension view has got a much higher view. They can see every single thing. They can gauge and know what's going to happen. And it's not just as if, well, I can see it and I can give you a play-by-play description. Okay, uh, sister's going to get up in the morning. She's going to start her car. She's going to drive to Bentley, Kansas. And then I'm going to watch her and she's going to drive home. And I'm gonna, and, and all those, it's, not, it's, not just, um, it's not just relegated or brought back to just a play-by-play description. Everybody with me so far? It's the fact that before the world ever began, he knew you would get up this morning and drive to Bentley, Kansas, put on the clothes you're wearing, and sit here and be listening to me right now. Otherwise, he's not God. See, the word God is so easily worn out. the, The main blunt statement of the word God means object of worship. Now, that's a beautiful thing if you hold it in the right pattern. But the word God doesn't just describe our Lord and Savior. Because the more, uh, a better way to explain him would be the word Elilah Elohim, which means self-existing one. And again, English language gets so worn out. Yeah, 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 self-existing. What's the big deal? Self-existing, no big deal. But when you pull the earth out of the picture... You pull the heavens out of the picture, the sun, the stars, you, dust, air, gravity, darkness, light, all those things, you pull them all out of the picture, he's still there because he is the picture. He's the picture. And everything else that you see in this world that you find beautiful are just his attributes. Everything else in this world that you see and find beautiful are just his attributes. I don't mean worldly beauty, I mean godly beauty. I mean the sunsets, the rainbows, the, the waterfalls, all those different things that he created for your glory, for you to see. The head of all principality and power. The head, the head, the head. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. 
So again, a lot of us don't understand this in, in current terminology. A circumcision is for a male and a certain procedure you would have on a male child only, not a female child. But he's trying to use that to describe something. Uh, I think it's Joel would say it like this, to rend your hearts and not your garments. Rend your hearts and not your garments. For a man to have his, 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 his manness to be cut away. Um, that, that's to show you that he is deeming someone higher than him. He's deeming someone else has the rule over him. Someone else is greater than him. For him to lay down his testosterone and to lay down his strength and his, his, his brute will and give that honor to someone else. That's what we would do, that you would surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You would say, Lord, my flesh would love to go do this. My flesh would love to go do that. My flesh would maybe enjoy that. But Lord, I want my heart circumcised from the things of the world that I would only love and even say it like this, be absolutely addicted to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just, I seem Sunday or Wednesday, but I mean addicted I can't get enough. I, I won't live another moment if I don't get in his presence. I, I would look crazy and act crazy until I can get back into his presence because he's all that I love. Amen. <laughs> the head. In whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. By the circumcision of Christ to be cut away. Now, let's look at that and tie that in with the word church. The word church is meant to be called out or separated. The word church is meant to be called out or separated. He told Abraham to come out from Ur of the Chaldees. Come out here unto me. Abraham could have told him, I can serve you just as good right here as I can over there. Matter of fact, I could probably do it better here. We have better water. We have better everything here. And you want me to go out there to serve you? What is, what is going on there? I don't understand that. He said, come out from it and come into me. And the flesh would say, you're going to take me into the desert to serve you? That I could serve you better in the desert? There's a scripture for that too. The Bible says he'll make a desert a garden fair. He can make a desert a garden fair. See, when you serve him, when you live for him, nothing's impossible. Not one thing. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism. Again, your life, who you are with him and in him. Buried with him in baptism. And the reason why we, we've covered so much on this in the last so many months is to try to <clears throat> bring a clarity on how Satan had marvelous success. To bring a clarity, a good understanding, so you would say, wait a minute, Satan's had marvelous success. If we were to get every good history book that we know of and take all the way back to the very last of the disciples as they're being killed. You have Peter, James, each one of them, as each one is being given their lives for the gospel. So let's start right here with the basics of it. There's so many people on this planet that don't even believe Jesus Christ existed, period. Okay. Only 2,000 years after, the king of kings wrapped himself in a body, stepped into it, and gave his life for you and me. Only 2,000 years after, and majority of people don't even believe he existed. You'll agree with me on that. Okay, now let's get a bit closer. Now, a lot of people that do believe he existed, that believe that he was just a man, 
just a man. I think it's the Zwingli doctrine, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> which is big in the Swiss Reformed Church. George Zwingli, his doctrine was that Jesus was not the Son of God. He was a man that was called the Son of God. He was called the Son of God. And again, all these things are completely contrary to what the Bible says. And contrary means opposite of. Contrary means opposite of. It is an argument. It is in debate. It's completely opposite of what the Bible says he is. So, now, we've, we've come to the conclusion there are people that don't even believe he exists. There are people that don't believe that he was actually the Son of God. We believe he exists, but he wasn't the Son of God. And so, there are people that believe that, and you bump into them every day. They're on this world. Again, we're still talking about the King of Kings in a human flesh walking around, and so many of the majority don't believe that he didn't either exist or he did exist, but he wasn't actually actually God. You with me so far? So then you have that same, com- that same quandary, the same question. Okay, if he wasn't God himself, veiled in human flesh, if he truly wasn't that, then why in the world would those 11 disciples, because you know, Judas, he committed suicide, why would they be willing to give their lives, lay down their lives, be tortured to death, be m- murdered in such a way if he wasn't? Because I guarantee you, they'd have known They'd have known. They walked the closest with him. They'd have known real quick if it wasn't true. Anybody here want to give your your life for a lie? I don't want to, but you give your life for the truth. So they knew it. Each one of them. Peter, they went to kill Peter, and they were going to put him on a cross. And he said, don't hang me the same way as my Lord. You hang me sideways. I'm not worthy to be killed the same way as my Lord Jesus Christ. And we read to you just a few Sundays ago out of the book of Peter. And you see what God had done in that man's life. He went from being a coward, being a coward to being a conqueror. But when it was time for his part of the seed of the wheat, that corn, that grain to go back in the ground, his response was, I won't die. I won't, uh, you can't hang me that same way. you got to hang me sideways. This was history. He gave his life in such a way. They were so sure and so sold out that this was the truth. So after the resurrection, if you believe that he resurrected, if you actually believe those that don't believe that he died, they believe that he was given a mandrake weed when that sponge was put to his mouth, that it was soaked with mandrake weed, and it put him in a coma-like state for three days. And on the third day, his disciples come along, move the rock, and they stole his body away to propagate or to perpetuate the idea that he resurrected. So again, if you believe he existed, if you believe he resurrected, and all these different things actually died. You believe he died this morning? You actually believe he died? You know that, that even though in a human body flesh you might be in minority of that, this planet knows that he died. The sun in the sky knows that he died. The Bible says it refused to shine. The earth had nervous prostrations. The earth had an earthquake trying to shake, not on me, not on me. Don't do this on me. Don't give your life on me, even though we know it had to be redeemed too because of what Adam did. The earth is very sure that he died. The earth is also very sure that he arose, that he resurrected on that third day to the complete satisfaction, the complete fulfillment of all that Scripture required. See, you didn't have to, you didn't have to, he didn't have to run this by me. He didn't have to get Sam Parker's approval and me to walk through the scripture with the Lord Jesus. Now look, God, now look, Jonah had said, as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, you'll have to be in the belly of the earth. 
And he'd have said, who's got to be satisfied, you or me? You. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, resurrection. So, him being alive, as he's given his last final instructions to his disciples there on the mountain, right before the ascension, Matthew 28, right there you find that, and he's telling them the way. The truth, the life, the straight is the gate. And he's walking through each one of these things, telling them, how can I be? How can I be? Because you find the same question 10 days later when they're coming out of the upper room and these men look like they're drunk and they're speaking in tongues and you can obviously tell their lives are changed. And you can also tell in your heart that that ain't the spirit of the devil. You realize that? How many of you ever been around that someone has the spirit of the devil on them or some kind of demonic prayer? You've spent that. It don't take real long. You're like, mm-mm. I'm going to go over here. I don't want to be near that. You, you felt that before. I'm not the only one. I'm not up here lying to you. You felt that before. So you have these 120 pouring out of the room, and most of them don't even speak the same language. But they're looking at it, and their heart's going, I want that. I want that. I don't know what that is, but I want that. They, and they're asking them each other, are they drunk? What happened? How did we get here? How did this happen? How, what produced that result? They're pouring out. And Peter steps up, is right where we've opened here in chapter 2, and he starts to preach to them the Lord Jesus Christ. He started to preach to them everything that was said. And he says that same thing, that you must follow him in death. You must follow him in death. Buried with him in baptism. He begins right there in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He clears up Matthew 28, 19 with what I opened then, that God gave him, made him Lord and Christ. He made him that. Made him that. And then Acts 2, 38 comes the formula. It comes the inoculation, as the prophet would say. It comes the way to life. Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You shall re-gift it. Receive it, the gift of it. So, again, you link all these things in with heavens and earth will pass away, but his word will never fail. If Peter was inspired to say these words by on high, by the one that gives understanding revelation, which we find that exact path of revelation from the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in Matthew 16, and drops it into the heart of Peter right there when he said, whom do you say that I am? He drops that revelation to his heart. And now when that's brought in 10 days, well, so many days later from Matthew 16 to Acts chapter 2, that now it's been quickened and made alive. And now Matthew 28, 19 has become a revelation in the heart of Peter because he's now been made alive. He's put off Peter's mind. He's put on the mind of Christ. And now things are working. The word of God is working. The word of God is moving. Come on now. The word of God is moving. Paul would tell you that through your vain traditions and all those things, you made the word of God none effect. You made the word of God none effect. Now, we sang a song earlier that says, I'm the God that healeth thee. That is not out of the New Testament. That's out of the Old Testament. Wait a minute. He hadn't even took those stripes yet. He had not been beaten and bruised and wounded for me yet. No, but the prophet wrote it down. The prophet said, by his stripes, you are healed. That's way back in the book of Isaiah. Way before Matthew 1 ever happens. But he had done said those things. That he had wrought that for you. That that promise be given to you. That promise is accessible unto you. Before he took the stripes. See, his word is true. It's true. It works. 
So to get, get the word to work. So they go to pray for someone. And for those that have it of none effect, the word of God will be none effect. The Bible, so again, a heart not mixed with faith. You have someone that's sick. The Bible says you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They go to lay hands on the sick and they don't recover. They should stop, step back, re-examine. Re-examine. We've read that to you a lot in the last few weeks. Examine yourself to see whether or not you even be in the faith. The word says this is what happens when you follow this pattern because it happens here. It happened here. And so if it happened there and you meet it the same way, it will happen here. I'm not just pointing at you this morning. I'm talking about in me. The word of God be made full effect in me. Now, the way to that is it must be line by line, line by line, precept upon precept, not well, maybe this, maybe not this. We'll pick this. We'll choose that. No, you only live by every word that proceeds on the mouth of God. See, just to kind of jump your head a little bit, my goal is a rapture. My goal for Sam Parker is a body change. Not to take the way of the grave. If I do, blessed be the name of the Lord. But my goal, what I'm pressing toward, is a rapture. And the way that a rapture works is a fulfillment of all Scripture. A fulfillment. I cannot say, I believe this, but I don't believe that. I believe this, but I don't believe that. It must be line upon line upon line upon line upon line upon line, or you won't take a body change. And I told you, that's my goal. I want the Word of God to be a full effect, not just in me, but in this church. This is to be the fulfillment, the carrying on, that Joel 2 prophecy of what happened in the book of Acts. If it ever produces another branch, it'll be like the original. Now, maybe, maybe there's people, those that, that don't believe they need healing, that that's just for their day or whatsoever. But I, I, got, I live in a body that's broke down, that breaks down daily, and, and I need his touch daily. And, and, if, and if I don't get his touch, then I'm a miserable person, miserable, miserable person. I want his touch, not just body, but soul and spirit as well. Okay. Buried with him in baptism. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. You know that you can actually track it through not just in history books, but you can track it in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation 3 when they started to bring in the heresy of baptizing in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost, which is not what Jesus said. You can track it. He said, those that have kept my name and then those who have left my name. Oh, that's too simple. It's very, very simple. But you understand your path, your trajectory, what gives you strength, what makes you strong. It's him speaking to you. Because he said that that it'd be so close in the last days that it would deceive the very elected if possible. How are you going to make it? Because he is here to guarantee it. He's here to guarantee it. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're arisen with him. Now listen to this next line. Through the faith of the operation of God. Through the faith of the operation of God. You're buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him. Through the faith of the operation of God. The operation of God. The way he does things. His way of doing things. Or as the Bible would say, God's provided way. Where he chose to put his name. 
that you're through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, there's... A part of condemnation, I realize I've been listening to adoption number four a lot, and I've shared a lot of things out of that with you. And as I've listened to that a lot the last week alone, I've realized that I'm really, really missing something there in the condemnation part. I believe God will reveal that to me. There's something there that I'm missing. But just the part of you no longer being a sinner... Yes, you would still have sins, but you're no longer being a sinner. You're so washed, so clean, that yes, you'll make mistakes because you live in a human body, but you're not a sinner anymore because you've repented. And when it repents, that he takes that from you. When you go to God and you repent and you make that right, he takes it from you and he puts it back on the original person that ever first did. And you find that in Isaiah chapter 14. He said that when iniquity was found in the heart of Lucifer... First person, iniquity is ever found in, person, whatever you want to call him, angel, that it was put on him. That you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, forgiving you all trespasses. Now verse 14. Blotting out, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Took it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross. Took it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross. He blotted it out. Took it out of my way. And he nailed it to his cross. Blotted it out. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 13, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. <clears throat> you love what his word says about you? <clears throat> I, I, I love something that I heard a brother say a while back. He said, I'm rather, I'd much rather believe what the word says about me than what I even think about myself. I'd much rather believe what the word says about me than what I even think about myself. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. But all things that are reproved, all things that are approved or exposed, all things that are reproved or exposed are made manifest by the light. Are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now, you link that with the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. All ten were sleeping. Then the cry came, Awake, arise, the bridegroom cometh. And the five had no oil, the five had oil, which is revelation, which is a rock, which is right out of the veins of Emmanuel. It's the very life source of Emmanuel. It's not just blood. It's not just blood. You think of veins, you think of the blood. That's what flows through my veins is blood. But his very life is a revelation. Amen. 
It's his very being. It's his very essence. And you find it flowing from Emmanuel's veins. When he opened up the way where that now that you can come into the throne room, that you can come before his presence with thanksgiving and with singing, where you can bow down at his feet, not stuck in the outer court, not stuck in the inner court, but all the way in the Holy of Holies. No ordinances, no hand, none of those sins, all those things blacked out, all made manifest by the light. Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Whatsoever doth, as verse, verse 13, whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So I'm going to call back and I'm going to pick on that baptism again. Satan's had marvelous success. At Nicaea, they decided a way to have pagans involved with Christians. And they tried to merge and create a hybrid, mutated, deformed religion. And it's called the Catholic Church. And the first thing they did was they took Matthew, 8, Matthew 28, 19, and they changed that even. Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They changed it to baptize in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Ghost. Already adding to the word. Already adding to the word. And so for that first 300 years, for that first 300 years, not one person ever was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's where you get power as a Christian. You're buried with him in baptism, yet you're raised in a resurrection. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way. For you to receive his power, it must come the right provided way. It must come his provided way. And you, other people would say, well, I don't think either one makes a difference. It did to him. It did to him. It did to Paul. A lot of people try to say, well, Paul never knew Jesus. So Paul's just operating on his own ideas and his own theology and his own wondering, all these things. No, Paul said, first he was seen by the eleven. Last of all, he was seen by me on the road to Damascus. He saw by me. And he gave me this revelation. Galatians 1 says that if we or an angel from heaven tries to bring anything different than this revelation... Bring them into your home, love on them, and, and say that they're right and tell everybody else to change your doctrine to what they preach. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, let him be accursed. No, that's kind of harsh, Paul. That's mean. Paul, that's mean. Why would you say that? So, Acts chapter 19. <clears throat> you have Acts chapter 8. You have Acts chapter 10. You have Philip in Acts chapter 8. You have Peter in Acts chapter 10. And then you take Paul in Acts chapter 19. <clears throat> comes upon the, the Baptist idea where Apollos is. Apollos was a Christian, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but he did not start baptizing the way Jesus Christ told. He was baptizing through John's baptism. It's Acts chapter 19. And then he find him there. They ask him, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Because again, the pattern works. The pattern works. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it works. That you repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Paul is here now to confirm that the word is true. He asked them, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they tell him, we don't even know if there be such a thing as the Holy Ghost. And so he asked, how were you baptized? They said, under John's baptism. He said, John only baptized under repentance. Now, it's interesting to watch and track the history of baptism in the Bible. Very, very interesting. If you jump all the way back to Shem's day and see as it starts up, and then it comes all the way down, it's not mentioned again until you get over to Matthew where John is baptizing. 
It was given, it was promised, it was told, not a sprinkling, not a, not a, a, a throwing water upon, but a full immersing. John the Baptist was doing it with what John had for that day. The Malachi 3 experience, that revelation, that prophet of that day, he's standing there fulfilling what he was given because the atonement had not yet been given. The blood had not yet been given. The ascension had not yet happened. This promise could not be relayed until Acts chapter 2 verse 38. So as that promise comes forth and starts to enforce the operation of God, we discover that, enforce the operation of God. This is God's provided way. Acts chapter 19, Paul is standing there and talking to those believers. Have you received the Holy Ghost? They said no. He said you must be rebaptized right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does the Bible say next? They were filled with the Holy Ghost. I think Paul is just trying to pick on them. Paul is being so mean. Why would Paul care? Why don't make no difference? It does not make a difference. No, he's showing you how to get movement with God, how to fall and get into the operation of God. I read that scripture to you, the operation of God. It is the way that God would have. So then Satan would come along, and I shared that many times in Luke chapter 10, 19, that he said, God's given you power, that Satan's taking notes. How do we tear that down? How do we weaken them? Because Isaiah said, O Lucifer, thou that weaken the nations, thou that weaken the nations. He says, I can make a Christian who claims to be a Christian weak just by getting a baptized wrong. Just by getting them to baptize the wrong way. So where they should have walked circumspectly. You know what that mean, that, that word means? To walk circumspectly means that everything that you do must line up with the word. Good and bad. Everything that you do must line up with the word. Okay, you've got the word in your hand. The word says, as I walk in this journey, I'm not trying to make a show. I'm not trying to make an exhibition. I'm living my life as a believer. Needs rise up as you live your life. You have a loved one or someone that's sick. Okay, come here. This is what the word says, that this has all happened to me. I'll lay the hands upon you, and you shall recover. No wondering, no questions, no dragging out, no wonders. This is what the word says. Immediately after this happened, that Peter and John, they walk up to the gate beautiful, and a beggar is laying there, had been lame since birth, had never walked. He's laying there, and they walk up, and he said, can you give me alms? And they said, silver and gold, have we none, but such as we have, they've received the gift of the Holy Ghost, such as we have, I give it to you, because the avenue works. Everything works, because the Word says it works this way, and it happened. It doesn't say 12 years later, 15 years later, the man started getting strong. No, immediately he jumped up on his feet. Immediately jumped on his feet. It says standing, leaping, never stood in his life. It worked the same way it did in Jesus. So you're seeing the operation of God. You're seeing the way God wants a believer to live, walk, breathe, think, all these things in the operation of God. So as those things come back, now to be that Satan has torn them down for 2,000 years and has taken power out of the hands of a believer, God sent someone in our day to restore. And you think how many people stood up and said, that's wrong. That's not what the Bible says. And if he would get them to actually look at Acts chapter 2, 38, they would always say, see, the Bible contradicts itself. Contradicts itself. The Bible can't be true. How did you jump from, you must baptize this way because the Bible's right, to when I show you that it doesn't run all the way through the scripture, your first thought is, well, the Bible must not be right. What spirit is that? That's not the spirit of Christ. 
The Spirit of Christ says, show me more. Show me more. The Paul would say, come, let us reason together. Okay, what was Philip? Philip was at a meeting, and there's a eunuch that has a question in his heart. Guess what about? Baptism. That Philip comes upon him, and he's sitting there, and he's reading Isaiah's prophecy. And this eunuch asks Philip, he said, who is this prophet talking about? Is it himself or someone to come? And Philip took right then and preached the Lord Jesus Christ to him. And what did it make the, the eunuch do? The, the eunuch says, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What doth hinder me? And, of course, Philip took out and baptized me in the name of the Father and of the Son. and the Uh-uh. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything that you do, everything that you do in heaven and in earth must be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's operation. So things that are reproved, that are made manifest by the light. The light comes and shows you the correct way. The correct way. I'm just covering basics to get you to where we're at today. All these things being pulled back, that string, loop pulled back together to catch you where you're at in your own walk. This is done according to the word. This is checked according to the word. I've checked this with the word. I've checked this with the word. And that word, again, circumspect means to be looked over constantly. It's not just, well, my pastor told me that this was the scripture. Did you go back and check it for yourself? No. Well, my pastor told me this is what it said, or my church, or my creed, or my dogma. What does it say? I don't know. That's not walking circumspect. That is backwards, forwards. Okay, I see it here. I see it in the Old Testament, the New Testament, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. I see what he says. Now the eyes of my understanding are being enlightened. My heart is being opened to the truth. But if I walked up to it, that's wrong, you're wrong, that's wrong. Who does God think he is? He'll never show. He can't show you nothing. You got your hands like that on front of the Lord Jesus. Holding him out of your heart. I don't want you. Now we're back to a sinner. A sinner don't want to be saved. Don't want to be saved. I heard something said just the other day that that a question was turned in on questions and answers that a woman, and I didn't really understand how she, the way she worded it, and then she stood up in the audience and, and she said that actually she meant this, but so I didn't understand that. But it was talking about the purpose of free will and what she was asking with the Ram this question about free will. And she was saying that if a person does not want um, to live for the Lord Jesus, does not want to give their heart to God because the Scripture says he would that none would be lost, that he sent his only begotten son for the sins of the world. He did that. So if this person that does not want God, that does not want to give their life, that does that mean that they are circumventing the will and purpose of God through their free will? That their free will is stronger and more mighty and more powerful than the purpose of God? This was her question. Because they didn't want God. They wanted the world and anything the world had. They did not want God. As the Bible would say, I think it's Romans chapter 1, they refused to retain God in their knowledge. They refused. You, you, you hear what I'm saying? They refused to re- not forgot, not got busy, not got tired of other things. They refused. You're not putting that in my memory. You're not putting that in my memory. That he gave them up. He gave them up. There's the gentleman of our God. He's a gentleman, but that the will of God might stand, that he knew there were those, no matter how bad you was, no matter how bad you was, 
He knew there was something in your heart that longed to be redeemed. And again, I say all the time, he's a gentleman. And he knows the word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I don't care if he was a drug dealer. I don't care where you was in prison. I don't care where you was. That when your heart finally come to that point, he knew there was something there that could be redeemed. You look at Cain. Cain was not a lot of things. Cain, outside of the murder of Abel, might have looked like a pretty good guy. But there was nothing in Cain that wanted God. Nothing in Cain that wanted God. What do you want this morning? Whatsoever doth make manifest his light. He said, therefore, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Christ, do you believe that this morning? How would he do that? How would he give you light? How could he give you light? <clears throat> he says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. What does a fool mean? Does a fool mean retarded? Does a fool mean no brain? No, a fool means you don't know. You don't know. You understand that? So they were said about, you know, if, I, if, if you were asking me how to work on some kind of new jet plane or something like that, I would tell you I'm a fool in that manner. I have no knowledge of working on that. But you take someone that's been trained and skilled how to work on every part of it, they're not a fool in that matter. They know how to work on it. But refusing to retain God in their knowledge wouldn't go search it out. See then that you walk circumspectly, circumspectly, not as fools or carefully, but as wise, redeeming the time, redeeming the time. See, that's a very powerful scripture right there, redeeming the time. See, you've only got a certain amount of minutes, certain amount of seconds, a certain amount of days, weeks, months, years, each one of us. You've only got a certain amount of time. How much of your time has been wasted on useless things that you would go back and say, I would give anything to have that time back? If you were 80 years old sitting here tonight and you're thinking about all the time you'd wasted and you could actually go back and change some of the junk that you did and get that time back at 80 years old, you'd give all your wealth to get it, wouldn't you? Most people would redeeming the time you can't change what happened but from here forward you can stop what's been you can stop the leak you can you can plug the hole satan's been siphoning your time out your time is meant to read your bible and pray how do i get closer to god read my bible and pray how do i get a revelation read my bible and pray what satan constantly fighting you to do read your bible and pray don't do that i'm too busy you got to do this you got to do this any other thing but redeeming the time Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. I want to pick up that one scripture right there. And I've read it to you a lot. But I asked earlier, how would Christ give you light? How would Christ give you light? You find this answer in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. How would Christ give me light? God, who at sundry times <coughs> spake in t- at sundry times and in divers manners... Spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. He spake by the prophets. He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. By whom also he made the worlds. Now he's describing to you the anointing, the logos, the vehicle being of the Son. Not another person, not another personality, the same person 
all the time a different attribute. A different attribute. I love the simplest definition, the simplest de- description of that. So my name is Sam Parker. I'm, I'll be 43 in a, in a couple months. I'm a carpenter by trade. I do mechanic work. I do all kinds of different things. I'm also a pastor. But I'm also a husband. I'm also a dad. And now I'm a grandpa. It's too simple, ain't it? So when I was born at one years old, you couldn't have told nobody, that guy's a carpenter, that guy's this, he's a dad. No, you can't see the fruits of it. You can't see the attributes of it. I had not yet become a carpenter, had not yet become a pastor, had not yet become a husband, yet become a dad. But all those things I always was in me. Attributes of that character. Not my character, but his character. There's none good but God. And he said that hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, remember the light now, the light reproves, make manifest, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word. What keeps the world in place? What keeps the sun there? What keeps the oxygen? What keeps gravity? His word. His word said, let it be. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. He said all these things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, set down the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, we don't cover these things with what David prophesied there in Acts chapter 2. Peter's reading David's prophecy in Acts chapter 2. And he sit on the right hand of the throne of the power. It would be all those things. It's not a separate person. It's a, it's a position. It's an atonement. It's a way of being done. A way of something being done. Now, I'm going to come back to Hebrews in a minute. But now turn to Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> Now, I'm going to take my time and come through this chapter to get down to my verse. But I want to show you everything that this one is talking to him about. Goodness. Verse 1, chapter 19, verse 1. And after these things, after these things, again, he's walked through all of those prophecies, everything that John was shown. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying... Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Now, I said that very fast. Please forgive me. These people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Stop. That means 10,000 praises under our God. 10,000 praises. Salvation. Praise the Lord. That means you're saved. Saved from what? Saved from the pit. Saved from hell. Saved from what you used to be. I've been saved. Salvation and glory. What? Honor. Power unto the Lord our God. You mean the one that we're complete in? You mean, that's what you mean? The one that I'm, complete, that I'm not complete without him, but if I'm complete in him, that's who this is to? For true and righteous are his judgments. For he has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. 
So now, he's just covered everything that Lucifer did from impregnating Eve and walking right down to weaken the nations, to put that serpent seed into the world. And what that was, was it was a heart that did not want God, that would not repent to God, that would not bow to God. And what that produced was the great whore and Satan's influence through her, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. This is interesting because this scripture does not exist without what happened in Genesis 2 and 3. Without the mistake that she made. It doesn't exist. If that had never happened, we would not be reading the scripture to you. You wouldn't. It's just the truth. But because what Satan inserted in the human race, hath it, all that fornication, all that death, all that judgment coming upon her, he's avenged, God's avenged the blood of his servants at her hand, which tells you she's put so many of them to death. And again, they said, this great voice of much people in heaven, again, they said, 10,000 praises to our God. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. Whose smoke? The smoke of the great whore being destroyed. The smoke her smoke rose up. Her smoke rose up. The destruction. Now, again, you got to remember, there's a difference between everlasting and eternal. Big difference between ever, there's a big difference from forever and forever and eternal. Forever is still time. Everlasting is still time. The word eternal means never had a beginning, never had an end. You won't burn for all eternity. You'll burn for a long space of time, but then at the end of it, Never to be spoke of again. And I've shared that with you many times. Humans can't, I can't, I've got a good imagination. Imagine not being. Can you imagine not being? Not thinking, not being alive, not being, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine such. Because even when you're sitting there trying not to think, you're still thinking. It's true because your lungs are still pulling in and out. You're still, heart's beating Pulses running. <clears throat> and the four and twenty elders, twenty-four elders, twelve disciples, twelve patriarchs, and the four beasts or living creatures fell down, <clears throat> excuse me, and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, ten thousand praises to our God. And a voice come out of the throne saying, a voice come out of the throne saying, praise our God, all ye his servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thunderings saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Who do you think is saying this? I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the voice of many waters, the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. For you to understand who is saying this, you've got to understand where the voice is coming from. You read you reading it there? Where did the voice come from? A that fell down to worship God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And then a voice come out of the throne, verse 5, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the voice of many waters, the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. 
This is his wife, seated with him in his throne. You find that through the church ages, that blessed is he to overcomes. To he that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne. To he that overcomes will I give a white stone. To he that overcomes will I give a name that is different, something else, something clearer, something more understood. Heard a voice of a great multitude. Let us be glad and rejoice to give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Now, I've, I've covered this many times that you'll never on your own make yourself ready. Never on your own make yourself ready. He had to come to make you ready. Right. I, again, without him, I can do nothing. With him, I can do all things. You're right? You with me? With him, I can do all things. So if you soft and said, okay, look, so me on my own, me on my own, I, I can all, only produce filthy rags. That's all I can produce. The Bible says that our righteousness to him was as filthy rags. That's a bad description. Filthy rags are nothing. But with him, with him, you've been washed whiter than snow. You've been given the garments of his word. Ephesians 6, the garments of his word. Wrapped in fine linen, arrayed, portrayed, shining the word of God. Everywhere you walk, I read that to you, I quoted that to you recently. There in the, in, in the priest in, the, in the, uh, the, the, t- the tent in the wilderness, that they had to have, they had bells on, his, on the, the clothes of his robes, and he was covered with oil that was crushed out of the rose of Sharon, covered with oil that was dripping down him. And everywhere he walked, his walk was holy, holy, holy unto the Lord, holy, holy. That was what their walk looked like. That's what your walk looks like. Not because you're like, I'm a good Christian now. I serve the Lord now. I got revelation, understanding, and knowledge. No, he gives it. He cleanses. He washes by the water of the word. To her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And we discovered that ain't come by nothing we did whatsoever. That was washed in the shed blood. It says, purge me with hyssop. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And he saith unto me, write, this is to John, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. So now you have John and this angel or prophet or messenger that's standing there with him. And John is writing down, because he just said, the angel said, write this down. So John's like, okay, I saw this, I saw this, I saw this, the marriage of the, of the Lamb has come, writing all those things down. And then as he's writing these down, the angel beside him says, these are the true sayings of God. I can imagine John say, yes, sir, it is. I agree. I just saw the whole thing unfold. Saw the whole thing unfold. I believe it. And I fell at his feet to worship him, the one that said, these are the true sayings of God. I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, see thou do it not. I'm thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. And here's where our, our title comes from today of that has, have, that have the testimony of Jesus, semicolon. Worship God, semicolon, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony, spirit of prophecy. Let me make this a little bit clearer to you. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there in the midst. Two or three gathered together in my name, I'll be in the midst. What happens when he comes around? 
When he speaks, I know his voice. I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. In righteousness. Jump over. We got just a few more minutes to Revelation chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. He sent and signified. Verse 2, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Verse 3, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy, this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. That sounds like Revelation 10.1. Time will be delayed no longer. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you. Peace from him which is, which was, which is to come. Who's he talking about? Who is, who is, who was, which is to come. That's only one. That's Alpha and Omega. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Well, hang on now. Seven, we're talking about Alpha and Omega, but we're also talking about seven spirits which are before his throne. We've been told about the 24 elders, the four beasts that right there before the throne, the mercy seat. We've talked about the bride being in his throne with him. Now you're talking about seven spirits that are before the throne. Are you reading that too? Seven spirits which are before his throne. That it, peace from him which is, which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Washed me, made me whiter than snow. And this is what he did. He made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him. All kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. Verse 8. I'm Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending. Saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come. He's the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and the companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that's called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to told you what's the word he's heard. Now he's going to tell you when he is. See, our, our story's just updated. We've just been given a little bit more clarity on the subject. I heard it like this the other day, that, that if you were to jump to the back of a book, and at the back of the book, it said, Mary and John lived happily ever after. And you're like, huh, I wonder who Mary and John was. You got to flip backwards in the book to find out who Mary and John was, what they did, what made them so happy. You had to you know, look around to see what made them so happy. You got to get some context. You got to get some understanding. And that's what it does right here. He said, I'm going to tell you where I was. I've done told you where I was. I'm going to tell you when I was. I was on the Isle of Patmos for the testament of the Lord, what I'd done. It was on that for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, in Revelation 19, he said that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the word of prophecy. 
It is the word of prophecy. And he's on the Isle of Patmos for what was given, what was given to the bride, John being a type of the bride. It's been given into the hand of John, a type of the bride, which is just your brother, another part of God's bride. God has had a bride out of every church age, every time, all the way up till now. That's why we just read to you, those are in the throne, that it's a number without number, that it's almost like a multitude of many waters, that it's a voice, it's just unbelievable, the amount of voices. And so now you got to think, if you were to think logistically or fourth dimensionally, how do that many people fit in one little bitty throne? How does that many people, is there enough chairs? Is there enough chairs? Are you thinking that, that it's tears and tears and tears of chairs? You're talking about possibly a billion people. It just says a number without number. And I'm just trying to throw numbers out to get our mind to expand. But I don't read that to you. You're complete in him. He said, grant to sit with me in my throne. We're not sitting for man. This is crowded. This is tight. Can you shove over? No, you're in him. In him. You think then is any different than you now? If you're in him, complete in him, seated in heavenly places, in him, which the prophet would say is just the believer's position in Christ. Oh, man, I live just the most boringest of lives, and, and I'm just normal and ordinary as can be. Not if you're seated in heavenly places. It doesn't say seated in earthly places, boring places. It says seated in heavenly places, which is Revelations 4, which is lifted up higher into him, into the capstone, into the headstone, into the one who is the head over all, over all. He's the head over all. He said that I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So again, he brought all the way up in the day of the Lord. That's our day. And then he said, I heard behind me a great voice. So if you're looking and tracking chronologically that you've come from 2,000 years ago, fast forwarding to where we're at right now. And he said, I look behind me, you know, back past the, the fast forward log and, and like, okay, that's where I was. But in this span of time from where I was to where I'm at now that he starts to hear those church ages. He said, I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, again, through all of that span of time, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was saying it then. He was saying it then. He's saying it now. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we think, oh, one day we'll get to go to heaven and we'll get to be perfect. We'll be all these different things. He's the same God today as he is then or he does was. He's always the same. He's saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, John, write in a book, send it on the seven churches which are in Asia, under Ephesus, under Smyrna, under Pergamos, under Thyatira, under Sardis, under Philadelphia, under Laodicea. Break. Verse 12. This is what he's telling him to write. I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Again, that was him amongst his candlesticks. That was him amongst his people, amongst that age. Because remember, he said, I had to turn to look to see God of that day. Like you reading a history book. John said, I had to, because he's already brought up into our day. He said, I had to turn and hear this voice speaking to me. Let's go see what the book said of him in that day. Okay, he was a God there. He was God to them. He was God to them. He's kept his word. He's kept his word. He's kept his word. 
Now, this might seem like I'm really straining and I'm really wasting your time or spinning your wheels on it, but I'm showing you a, 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 a um, what's the word I'm looking at? It's a history of evidence. It's a proof. It's a resume. It's a showing you an order of God that if he did it then, and then he did it there, and he did it there, and he did it there, and he did it, and, 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 and that he'll do it right now too. Because of the order and purpose of God. I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, the way a candlestick would work, I've got to describe this to you and explain it before we go any further. This isn't just like you have, um, you have uh, candles with wick and you have seven of them. It looks like Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. This is, the way this was designed, it had wicks that dropped through each little tube back into a basin that held oil. This is the way the scripture described this candlestick. It went back into one pot, into one thing. Jesus would say it like this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You draw in your life from him. Jesus would also, let's call him this, Elohim would tell Abraham, I am El Shaddai, the breasted one. You'll draw your life from me directly. You'll draw your breath, your being, your essence. You'll draw everything from me directly. This is what the Lord Jesus said. So you said, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Why would it be called golden? Gold represents deity. Deity. Who owns it? The king. The king. The one that owns everything. Otherwise, it would have been rusty. It would have been wooden. It would have been anything. But no, it shows that it is the king that owns this. You see his purpose all throughout the, the, the history of time. In the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one, as italicized, one like unto the Son of Man. Revelation 17, verse 30. In the day when the Son of Man is revealed, in the day, that same Son of Man, when he's dealing with you as a prophet, he's the Son of Man. Jesus Christ is a prophet, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is a prophet. We read to you in Hebrews 1 that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, spoke to you through those prophets. The Spirit, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the Spirit of prophecy. It's God speaking. It's God speaking. He said, in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one likened the Son of Man. What does a prophet do? It reveals. Luke chapter 17, verse 30. Most of them quoted by heart. In the day when the Son of Man is being revealed, unveiled, eyes opened, you understand. <clears throat> they would call him, now you see him face to face. One like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot. Clothed with a garment down the foot. Full, shoulders down, gird about the paps with a golden girdle. Again, what does that mean? Gold, girdle, that meant as a judge, standing there as a judge, God, standing there, deity. Judge of the whole earth, owner, king of kings, whole earth. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes were a flame of fire. Those who've read the message, you understand, Brother Ram said this part, I didn't understand this. He said, I don't understand why that he, when he died, he was 33 years old. Yes, he didn't look, he looked 50, but how could it be solid white hair from the top to the bottom? Then God revealed it's the judge. 
That's where the British, the English, that's where they get it from is that scripture. That he steps forward as the elder or the Bible said the hoary head or the white head or the experience or the many years and has someone that has a way to step back and judge. He said his head and his hairs, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Why would that be particular? You can't hide nothing from him. Everything is made manifest by the light. I just read that everything is made. There's nothing hid from his eyes because the word is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Nothing is hid from his eyes. Otherwise, he's not God. Otherwise, if he doesn't know the end from the beginning, he's not God. He's just absolutely not God. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. His voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Out of his mouth. You'll find this all through the book of Revelation, which it is Hebrews 4. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Word of God is sharper. Out of his mouth, his mouth, not someone else's mouth, his mouth. With Moses, he spoke lip to ear. With Moses, he said, Moses, you'll be a God, Aaron will be your prophet. That's what, Scripture, you'll be a God, Aaron will be your prophet. I'm just laying you up to where the bride is in this day. The spirit of prophecy, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had in his right hand seven stars, which means he owned, had complete control of those seven angel messengers. Out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword, his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. Anybody ever stood in the sun when it was full blast shining right at noonday and, and it's so bright you can't even look? I'm not the only one that can't even look. It's so bright. You have to look down. It's so bright. There's no denying it. There's no talking yourself out of it. That thing isn't shining. No, it's not that bright. It's no big deal. Scripture talks about in that day when you're in the other, on the, the other side, what for his wife, that you won't even feel the burn of the sun. You won't even feel the burn of the sun. We was outside for a little bit yesterday. It don't take long to feel the burn of the sun. You feel that heat. But when he is your son... And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I think a good way to say that is, I died. John said, just to look upon him. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I'm the first and the last. Why would he feel the need to make that distinction I'm he that liveth and was dead. And behold, here, here's, the diff- here's the description about John and Mary's life living happily ever after. I'm he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Have the keys of hell and of death. Hell and of death. We know who this is. We know we just read to you in Colossians and we stopped short of going through what he went through when he did. But he see him right here. He that has the keys of hell and of death. He said, John, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. That's Revelations 2 and Revelations chapter 3. But then you come back, those seven spirits are before the throne. It is those seven stars. 
It is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. How does he do it? He spoke to a man. Used his prophets. I proved that. Hebrews 1.1. Who has spoken to your heart? God uses many different avenues. Many different ways. What would you accept? You've heard it said many times. One of the hardest things God has ever had to do. Is get one man to believe another man. There's other people that, that they would believe someone who was not worthy of believing. Well, how do you know this? Because he said that. How do you know this? Because he said that. You find this a lot with sons and dads. That if a dad has a certain opinion, Fords and Chevys. Well, I like this because of this. But you don't know for yourself. No, but he did, so I did. So it's, and, and I'm not saying that that's a bit wrong thing to do. But you find that who would you trust? What would it take for you to, to be able to say, you know what? That is true. That is right. Too many people will say, well, I don't like how he said it. I don't like what he did. I don't like how he looks. I don't like the sound of his voice. It's too nasally. It's too deep. Too this, too whiny. He spits. He talks. He's long. It done bored me out and award me out. All these different things. What would it take for you to believe? You don't belong to me. You belong to him. I just read this to you. He's washed you in his own blood. He's purchased you with his own blood. Who will speak to your heart? The Lord Jesus Christ. Let's all stand on our feet this morning. Have the musicians come. <laughs> so many people, when the seals were open, when the lion descended, all these different things, they misunderstood the seven thunders, got so wrapped up in so many different things, they didn't understand, again, the simplicity of our God, that it's just Him speaking. To who? Raise your hands. As he spoke to your heart. He spoke to your heart. It's not just something that someone just said, hey, you should believe this. No, someone else. I heard something else. And it's a, it's a voice which I can't explain. I just can't explain it, but I love it. And I know it's my beloved. I've heard the voice of my beloved. I know it's him. Because he knows things about me that no one else knows. Because he's still the discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. How could you not love this one? Sing that song. How could you not love him back? How could you hold back your heart? Or even another day? How could you not love him back? When you think of his love and grace, how could you not love him back? Could you hold back your heart for even another day? How could you not love him back when you think of his loving grace? Let's worship him this morning. Sing it again. Oh, how could you not love him back? When you hold back your heart for even another day, how could you not love him back when you think of his love and grace? How could you not love him? Amen. I want to read a scripture to you before we close. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you're come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels who surrounds you. An innumerable company of angels. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord encamp around those that fear him. An innumerable company of angels to the general assembly church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to God the judge of all here you are now to the spirits of just men made perfect the spirits of just men made perfect let's bow our heads this morning precious Lord Jesus we love you Lord we thank you Father that in us, we determine your word is true. Might be things we might not understand just yet, not able to bring to pass just yet, but Lord, we say it's true. We thank you for your kindness and your gentleness to us, Lord, as we walk this path. So many arrows constantly flying our way, such amount of demonic oppression trying to come against us, but Lord, your word always lifts a standard. What it does is it lifts us higher higher and higher above the reach of the enemy, drawn close into that holy of holies where that Satan can't even touch us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that these words that you have inspired to say, that they find good ground and they take courage, that they take a courage and it inspires faith in such a way that no matter what Satan's been telling them, they realize beyond the shadow of a doubt that Satan is nothing but a liar, a defeated con man. Lord, in your words are life. Your words is what sustain us, what keep us alive, Lord. We pray that you would help us, Lord, as we continue to walk this road, that you would lift us higher and higher, that you make our feet more and more sure in the paths of righteousness. I pray that you touch our bodies and make us completely well, that you would lift our faith, Father, into a realm that we would be able to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that nothing is impossible to those that believe. Help us, Lord. We pray that you'd be with all those who aren't here this morning, Lord. I pray you would help them in their walk with you, that you would quicken them along their journey, Lord, be drawn up closer. If there's a question in their heart, Lord, you're the one that has all the answers. And you can say it in a way that Satan could never take it again. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so good to us. And, Lord, we just want to say we give you all the glory and honor and praise, Lord, and say hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah unto our God. We appreciate you, Father. In your lovely name, Jesus. Amen. This thing, victory was won at Calvary. I don't know if we have it in there, but it's a real simple little course. Victory was won at Calvary. Victory that gave me liberty. And now I can.
Sing this as we go in the fear of the Lord.